Happiness is based on a just discrimination of what is necessary. Welcome to the Reading Rebellion podcast. This is Arik. As always, I'm, well, not always, but as some large percentage of the time, I'm joined by <laughs> Ion. Hey, this is Ion. And, and uh, very special guest today, we have our very own TikTok star, Gen Z <laughs> legend, who's going to provide the and the radical youth, utilitarian and radical utilitarian who's going to provide the youth perspective on the ones who walk away from Omelas. Yep, it's true. Uh, I use TikTok 25 hours a day. I have 8 million followers, believe it or not. Uh, actually, last week I was I was in the Oscars. You know, uh, I was acting as Will Smith. I <laughs> I, sl- I slapped Chris Rock. I'm sorry about that. Do you think that the net utility from slapping Chris Rock was higher than the loss? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good that, question. That is a good question. think about all the people at the Academy who made a shit ton of money yeah. off of that slap. And everyone who was entertained felt I, joy and I mean, entertainment. It also got a lot of attention on Chris Rock, who, whose career was kind of like dying out slowly. Was it? Was it? Chris, I, I feel like Chris Rock is grandfathered in. Yeah. Well, he was grandfathered in, but he hasn't had any, like, like when was the last time you saw a movie with Chris Rock in it? That was like I mean, it's his co- his, he's a stand-up. He's a stand-up. Yeah. Although I did hear that, like, instantly after that, all of his shows on his tour sold out. Right. <laughs> a lot of people came up to support. Yeah. Yeah. That was that whole thing was kind of insane, just because, like... But it actually illustrates something um, to keep in mind through this podcast, which is utility, not all pleasure is equal. So the base pleasure of animals, a.k.a. slapping Chris Rock, is different from the higher moral sentiments of protecting a certain level of decorum and, like, taking care of people. Right. Um, as well as, like, the intellectual pleasures. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. That's one of John Stuart Mill's arguments. Um, and I think it'll, it'll come into play in this, in this tale of a city called Omelas. Which is the thing we are reading today. Not a city called Omelas, the ones who walk away from Omelas. So this is going to be a two-part series on utilitarianism, starting with this week showing the counterpoint, and next week we will go fully in-depth to John Stuart Mill's essay on utilitarianism. It's going to be great. I'll be here both times. Yes. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's a great setup for it. And, and you guys should, should <clears throat> listen to these because it's not obvious that maximizing human happiness is the right framework for basing your morality on. That's what this whole thing is about, is like, is the maximization of happiness across society the right goal? Um, right. And John Stuart Mill makes great arguments for it, but there are a lot of philosophies that don't prioritize that. You know, like, there's a lot of philosophies that prior- prioritize s- sacrifice, uh, or like Kant's categorical imperative, which is like, the right way to be is <clears throat> to act in a way that if everyone acted that way, things would be okay. Like classical republicanism? The um, Romans, maybe. Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, the Stoics really valued uh, self-sacrifice as a, as a key virtue. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so you know, if if you don't like consider these things, like consider why you're behaving the way you are, um, you know, things can sneak in. People can exploit you, manipulate you. Um, you know, twist your moral intuitions to make you act in ways that are counter to your best intentions. Right. Um, yeah. So it's good to consider. Yeah. <clears throat> so, The One Who Walk Away from Omelas is a short story from The Wind's Twelve Quarters uh, by Ursula... I don't know how to pronounce it. Ursula Le Guin? Ursula Le Guin. Yeah. Um, the basic premise is that there's this town, it's this theoretical town called the city of Omelas. Uh, you can picture it however you want. 
It's just a town where everybody is happy. It's like a utopia. It's like a paradise. But read some of the descriptions of it. Right. So, um, would you like to go ahead and do that, Oran? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Joyous. How is one to tell about joy? How can you describe the citizens of Omalas? Well, they are awesome. Um, they, you know, wander across the green fields, uh, naked in the bright air with horses that don't even need to be, you know, brittled or have like a, a, a saddle. The horses just are like down to race. Yeah. Their manes are braided with streamers of silver and gold. They have profound science, beautiful art and music. Um, they're all just like peacefully contented and, and living together. There are no kings. There's no clergy. No cars or helicopters. No cars or helicopters. They don't need it because they're just they're good just to go. So happy, you know? Now, of course, happiness comes with the cost. The thing about Omelas is that in this dark cellar beneath a house, one house, there's this kid. You could picture it, boy, girl, whatever you want. Completely like malnourished, like sitting in its own feces in like, uh, like six foot by three foot, like tiny dark broom closet. Now, the only way that the citizens of Omelas can enjoy their happiness is if that child is suffering the way that they are currently. They're completely isolated, they can't even speak, uh, they're permanently terrified, they don't have clothing. They can't go outside. People regularly come in and beat them. The only time they see other people is when they bring in food or they're getting, like, just beat up. I want to talk about how he introduces that. I want to take a little step back before we dig into that. Yeah. Um, so basically, you know, he talks about... Or dis- she. Oh, yeah, she. Sorry. That's all right. Um, I-, I really like the way that she kind of, like, builds up this talk of like the joyous town but i'll come back to that later but anyway after she does that she's like do you believe do you accept the festival the city the joy no then let me describe one more thing in a basement under one of the beautiful public buildings of omelas or perhaps in the cellar of one of its spacious private homes there is a room it has one locked door and no window a little light sleeps seeps in dustily between cracks in the boards second hand from a cobwebbed window somewhere across the cellar. In one corner of the little room, a couple of mops with stiff, clotted, foul-smelling heads stand near a rusty bucket. The floor is dirt, a little damp to the touch, as cellar dirt usually is. The room is about three paces long and two wide, a mere broom closet or disused tool room. In the room, a child is sitting. It could be a boy or a girl. It looks about six, but actually is nearly ten. It is feeble-minded. Perhaps it was born defective, or perhaps it has become imbecile through fear, malnutrition, and neglect. It picks its nose and occasionally fumbles vaguely with its toes or genitals as it sits haunched in the corner farthest from the bucket and the two mops. It is afraid of the mops. It finds them horrible. It shuts its eyes, but it knows the mops are still standing there, and the door is locked, and nobody will come. That's... It's like horrible. Yeah, it's really God. sad. Yeah. It really gets <clears throat> under your skin. It does. Yeah, it's really like dark and sinister. <laughs> I, I think that the thing that the author wanted you to consider is is this child suffering worth the happiness of the citizens of Omalas? And I think that just it's basically just the broader concept of utilitarianism. Should we focus on the good of more people or not? 
you know? No. And, and the thing is, like, if they let the child go, they don't explain why, but in this thought experiment slash story, the happiness ends. Right. If, if anyone extends a kind word to the child, if anyone lets the child go, helps the child in any ways, um, she says specifically, the terms are strict and absolute. There may not even be a kind word spoken to the child. And if there is, they lose their society. Well, and with, with this, one thing that struck me is, like, we live in omelas. We yeah. have profound science. We have, you know, the highest standard of living in human history. Um, but we have technology built in sweatshops. Right. You know, yeah. the, the shrimp we eat is, like, cleaned and, and prepared by literally, like, children who are chained up in warehouses and, like, islands off the coast of Indonesia. Um yeah, like the cobalt mines that are used to build, get, build our batteries the and stuff. The blood diamonds. The blood diamonds. But, you know, I, I think the blood diamonds affect us on a daily basis less because it's not oh. like we're buying diamonds every day it's yet. a good example of wait, wait till this app pops off, then I'm going to be buying diamonds every day. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have this conversation again. We're going to be like... <laughs> then we're going to be playing that Kanye West song. Diamonds are forever. forever. <laughs> you know that song? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think so. What you know about that college dropout? <laughs> no, you focus on being the college drop-in. Yeah, yeah. yeah but anyway, um, I, uh, one thing I, I like about this part, too, is, like, she doesn't simplify it, right? She's like, the people who walk away from Omelas, you know, the people who, the young people in Omelas, they have to confront this. They have to see it, and, you know, people go home in tears or in a tearless rage. They brood over it for weeks or years, but as time goes on, they start to rationalize. They realize if the child was released, it wouldn't get much good from its freedom. Maybe a little vague pleasure of warmth and food, but little more. And the consequence is, you know, damning and destroying the happiness of like an entire society. But there are some people who see this and they don't free the child because the conundrum is like really hard to resolve. They just walk away because that's yeah. all they can do. They just walk away from Omelas. They just go out and here from the thing. <clears throat> These people go out in the street and walk, walk down the beautiful gate. They keep walking across the farmlands of Omelas. Each one goes alone, youth or girl, man or woman. Night falls. The traveler must pass down village streets, between the houses with yellow-lit windows and on out into the darkness of the fields. Each alone they go west or north toward the mountains. They go. They leave Omelas. They walk ahead into the darkness and they do not come back. The place they go towards is a place even less imaginable than most of us to most of us in the city of happiness. I cannot describe it at all. It is possible it, that it does not exist, but they seem to know where they are going, the ones who walk away from Omelas. And I, that passage just gives me goosebumps. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's a really it's good powerful. ending. powerful, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, with, like, our society, right? Get rid of factory farming. I mean, get rid of the, the you know, cheap labor overseas. It would just collapse. Yeah, I mean, for poor people in our society, the standard of living is going to completely collapse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's it's exactly this situation. Like, what do we do? Like, if everyone, for example, just on a base global, had food with, derived from high animal welfare or, um, you know, organic sources, like, we wouldn't have enough food. Right. You know? And, and the food would be too expensive. That's the thing. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Like, even at current, you know, prices and things. I mean, I think I think it's really tricky. I mean, I think the thing, too, that's tough is, like, you know, one of the answers is go more plant-heavy in your diet because it's cheaper, it's better for the environment, the animal welfare concerns aren't there as much. There's not, like, 
as many cases of like slave labor in I mean there there still is I'm sure like but sketchy less, things going less on sketchy especially shit. stuff like palm oil plantations and stuff are pretty pretty gnarly but what about bread how much slave labor does bread have that's a good question because bread isn't healthy but you can get like a loaf of bread for a dollar probably not as much I think the challenge with bread is like for people who are low income in our society the, these food companies have managed to make really cheap food like this bread right right but what's the cost the cost is the health benefit corn syrup the sugar yeah. and the consequence <laughs> is they get addicted to food and um, you know it's better than dying of starvation but still the obesity epidemic is a consequence of like the corn surplus plus the like you know diverse or uh, adverse incentives and diverse incentives of the food industry you know I think if we just like remove Iowa and North Dakota like just remove them from the US I think it'll be a lot better because we just won't have the corning our, our wrestling program is going to be tough though against the Russians we need Iowa they're in North Dakota <laughs> Yeah, and we're, it's actually going to be a real problem for, like, our science. I was listening to a, a YouTube episode, or a YouTube video the other day, YouTube episode, um, about the, like, logistics of the U.S. corn industry. This was, like, at, like, 1.30 a.m. when I should have been going to sleep. <laughs> was, was Margaret gone? No, this was at home, like, here the oh, other day. Yeah, so Margaret was gone. Yeah, Margaret was gone. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't finish the video because it was a 20 minute video and I was like why am I not going to sleep <laughs> what am I doing <laughs> but anyway he was talking about how like first of all like this tiny town in Iowa supplies corn not just for the entire US but like the world like the world's corn industry relies on Iowan corn and and you know North Dakota and shit and beyond that um, like a- almost all of the ethanol used in science comes from corn all the ethanol that goes in our gasoline comes from corn. We have biofuels made from corn. So we really can't just get rid of all the corn or we're going to be in real trouble. Yeah. But I also, you know, I see your concerns with Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could make it so that uh, only scientists and people who are trying to produce energy, energy can go to Iowa and North Dakota. I, I don't know what we'll then no one's it. gonna go to yeah. Iowa because <laughs> there's not a lot of scientists there. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. We could just make... kidding, just kidding. We can't talk too much shit about Iowa. No, we, otherwise we, we totally can. Well, it's just a wrestling program. <laughs> well, well, we don't want and someone to, to take it against Baba because Baba does a lot of work at Iowa. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's okay, you're right. We... Our opinions are our own. We don't speak for <laughs> anyone. Yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> or literally anyone. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, this video was sponsored by Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa tourism. <laughs> Come. I heard that Warren Buffett eats children in Iowa. Oh, no, it's Omaha. <laughs> he just like checks his Mickey Mouse watch to see how the kid in the basement is doing. Oh man, that's how our society gets all like happiness. Like the kid and from the city of Omalas. It is the kid from the city of Omalas. Speaking of, back to this story, <laughs> Good and back to real life too. Um. The, the the real question here is, is this suffering, as I said before, is the suffering of these smaller group worth the benefits that the larger group serve? And I would say in our world, as it stands today, like how it works right now, I would say that it's not. I feel like we need less people in... Okay, that that's not what I'm trying to say. I think that right less now... Less people in sweatshops. Right, that's what I was going to say, but then I re- that's like kind of... I mean, nobody wants more people in sweatshops, right? Well... well. 
Nike might. Yeah, well, like, that's fair. <laughs> the, guy, the guy who owns the slave island in Indonesia might. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, once again, utilitarianism. Is that one guy suffering worth the greater good of the rest of the people? And yeah, it is. It doesn't matter if he can't have like his child slaves peeling shrimp. So, so yeah, here's, what, here's what I think is interesting to think about as well. Is the current suffering for the greater good of the people? Who, that's my issue with utilitarian philosophy in general, is who is the arbiter of what is good? What is our measuring stick for what is good. Is happiness the goal? Because I don't necessarily agree that that, like, I'd be happy as hell if I just, like, turned into Wally and I was just, like, <laughs> sitting on, like, a scooter chair, like, eating pizzas every day, you know, not able to walk, probably, right? My dopamine would be going off, like, a million times a day. But that's, like, the categories of happiness thing. Yeah. And, and like, <clears throat> but part of the argument, like, Mill's argument on that is, like, even though being a higher being involves, like, a lot of suffering, most of us would not want to be reduced to a lower being. You right. know? Yeah. Like, Loki's probably happier than I am in a certain in a certain sense, but I wouldn't want to be him, you know? Um, <clears throat> so, being a dog would be pretty cool, though. Yeah, I'd be down to be a dog, honestly. I'd be down to be, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the leader of, like, a, a pack of hyper-intelligent dogs. <laughs> well, I mean, as a dog, I mean, dogs. well, it depends on which dog, right? Like, some dogs are just, like, sad, like, dog fighting dogs and that's like tragic you know but if there's a dog that's like I don't know lives in like a five star hotel or something I feel like that would be pretty nice yeah I mean perhaps perhaps but there's still like you know you know what you can experience and enjoy is so like circumscribed narrowly as a dog you know that's true like the things that you love the people that you love the things that you care about the the depth of feeling that you have would, would be lost as as an animal you know yeah, well, but there's freedom in that to an extent as well, right? Yeah. Your depth of in feeling. a way you're always present. Yeah, no, that's true. But that's the difference of like living like, in Zen versus living by Zen. Yeah, it's like you know for like, for a Buddhist monk, it's like to come back to that original state of nature uh, from a place of first having like the higher order reasoning and reflection. Yeah, uh, where it's like for the dog, it's like you don't think good. And, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, it's, I mean, like, the question in, in this book, too, is, like, the, or this story is, like, also about this categories of utility thing, because to impose suffering of this degree on another being, the negative utility you derive from that, is that of a type that is so different from the contentment experienced by the regular people that they're not comparable, right? What? So, basically, it's, like, you know... <clears throat> you know how we're talking about like different different degrees of utility. So oh yeah okay oh, oh, oh yeah. sorry okay yeah yeah. I I think one thing that I would want to know uh, about this story is is that kid like can can they die like do they die of old age at some point because if they do I'd let them out because eighty more years of happiness is that worth it is that is it worth that child suffering yeah right but if that kid's like immortal you know. Mm. Yeah, but with that, it's like the whole, like, you know, British NHS, like, quality-adjusted life here, which is actually, like, a great metric. It's like, so the NHS, the way they make medical decisions is kind of on a utilitarian calculus. So it's like, they look at the years of life saved, but they also adjust that by the age. So one year at 80 is not worth as much as one year at 20, um, because your quality of life is lower. So, like, when they're, for example, making a decision on, like, organ transplants or something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
We're worried about like research funding or stuff like that, and for effective altruism, that's kind of how it's done too. Is like per dollar, how many quality adjusted life years do you save? Um, and that's how they gauge like what's a good intervention. Yeah. Um, but the question here is because that's what you're doing is you're saying hey like if this guy is immortal, there's an infinite number of quality adjusted life years lost here. Right. And in Omalas, you know, it's also infinite. But I guess because there's more people, it's like a higher order of infinity, or I don't know. Right, well, there's it's, like rates of infinity and all that. There are. Yeah. It's a bigger, it's a bigger circle. Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite multiple infinities proof. Let's draw you, a circle, draw another. You draw two concentric circles, right? And there's an infinite number of points on a circle. But if you draw a line from the inner circle to the outer circle, from every point on the inner circle, there will be gaps in the outer circle. Man, that's but trippy. they're both infinite. Yeah, well, that's weird. That's trippy. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. But that raises the question of degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, as an example, like, let's say I, gave, I was giving you Skittles, and each Skittle gives you, like, whatever, one u- util, um, and I'm like, I'll give you an infinite number of Skittles if I can chop your arm off. Yeah. Infinite happiness. See, right. that's the problem with radical utilitarians. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's like, it's like my arm. If you're going to cut all my limbs off. Well, uh, let's say I'm going to cut all your am limbs I, off. Am I, am I just a nose? You're just a nose. No. <laughs> what can you even do with the Skittles? Yeah, exactly. You can, then, um, no. You can smell them, but the, 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 smelling a Skittle gives you 0.25 utils. And an infinite number of Skittles <laughs> means an infinite number of smells, which means infinite utility. Okay, why, why don't we just make it so that it's like, it's like not... A skittle. It doesn't have to be something you eat. You just like touch it, like a like a lot, like a moist, like a moisturizer. Yeah, like a really nice moisturizer, but we kill like your entire family. <laughs> <laughs> Infinite supply of like oil of olay. You gotta but, move to like uh, L.A. if that's what you're gonna be doing. Yeah, that's already. I mean, that they would take that deal. <laughs> you get infinite snail mucus moisturizer. Hell yeah! But your entire family dies, and you're just a nose. I mean, you could just buy it without killing your family. Well, option. well, you take my point on how, like, it's just, like, utility of a different order. Yeah. How the, there are things that just, like, don't converge. They're on different tracks, you right. know? Um, well, what I would ask you is why wouldn't you chop your arm off? Well, because fundamentally, I, I feel like my being able-bodied, the things that I enjoy from being able-bodied are, are of a different degree than the sense of pleasure I would derive from Skittles, even though I do like Skittles. Wait, are we just talking about, like, normal Skittles? Yeah. Oh, I thought each Skittle you ate gave you like one piece of happiness. Like it one does. util. Oh. Yeah. Do they. What? Hey, do let, let, let do me see you like the negative effects of like eating like normal Skittles? Let, let me see if I can express it a different way, okay? You love playing the drums. Okay. Let's say I give you an infinite supply of a snack you love. Okay. But you can never play the drums again or listen to music again. Mmm. See, there's a higher order, right. higher order pleasure of like creative okay. expression. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense then. So then here, it's like, is the is the negative uh, utility of like torturing this child like of just a different order of the pleasure of just living in a you know peaceful society, um, or, I, or is that pain and that acknowledgement of suffering and what's bad in the world what allows them to have what they have? That's also true. I, I think that's is. something that she, she talks about here. Yeah. If I may go to the book. Yeah. Um, so this is when she's talking about the people starting to, like, rationalize it again. So 
Their tears at the bitter injustice dry when they begin to perceive the terrible justice of reality and to accept it. Yet it is their tears and anger, the trying of their generosity and the acceptance of their helplessness, which are perhaps the true source of the splendor of their lives. Theirs is no vapid, irresponsible happiness. They know that they, like the child, are not free. They know compassion. It is the existence of the child and their knowledge of its existence that makes possible the nobility of their architecture, the poignancy of their music, the profundity of their science. It is because of the child that they are so gentle with children. They know that if the wretched one were not there sniveling in the dark, the other one, the flute player, could make no joyful music as the young riders line up in their beauty for the race in the sunlight of the first morning of summer. Now do you believe in them? Are they not more credible? But, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Because I guess, you know, if everyone walks away from Omelas, there, there's no good, there's no bad, there's no society, there's no... Well, there's yeah. still the kid. Oh, uh, yeah, if they let him go, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I'm just saying, like, this idea of, you know, whatever, light and dark and, like, you know, suffering and happiness kind of opposed to each other and... Like, like hunting, right? Or, like, eating meat. Um... We, we survive off of, subsisting off of other organisms, be they plant or, you know, animal. If we just stopped doing that, we'd all die. And that would be it. There, there would not be a human being to ponder these moral questions, you know. Yeah. yeah. And that's what the Jains do, right? They starve themselves to death for that very reason. And I think that's kind of wacky, honestly. Yeah. I know that's a good idea. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you. But it's like, so this is similar to, we were talking about when you guys were whale watching, uh, Ridu, and, and you guys saw the orca. orca eat the seal. Right. And Mima finds it to be so, like, sad and, and horrible because the seal was cute and, and whatever. But if the orca doesn't eat the seal, the orca starts to death. Right. Yeah. And the orca didn't choose to be orca. He just is an orca. Yeah. Right. You know. So there's kind of like a strange, like, you know like beauty to the cyclical nature of the world in that way to me yeah yeah now would i would i apply that necessarily to this story i don't know maybe not i mean yeah i think for me this is pretty tough pill to swallow i don't oh, think yeah. i i don't think i could accept it i think i would probably be i'd like to think at least that i would be the one who would walk away um but again this is something we've talked about in our previous podcast is like when you think about yourself in these situations the natural tendency is to assume that you will be one of the exceptional few, always, no matter what the situation is, right? Like, whether you're thinking about, you know, if you were in Nazi Germany or whether you were in, you know, I don't know, like, uh, the pre-Civil War U.S. or even, like, if you were a white person in apartheid, like, all of these different situations. You're like, I'm going to be the good guy, but statistically, unlikely, yeah. Statistically unlikely, yeah, exactly. So it's interesting to think about, you know... As a general principle on that, like, when you're when you're predicting things or forecasting, like, a lot of people go from the specific and to, to the general, so they'll be like, okay, in my specific situation, I'm, like, a really good person, so I'm unlikely to be a Nazi prison guard. Right. But the most accurate forecasters go from the base rate and then adjust in small increments. So the average, like, you know, 80% of people were Nazi prison guards. I am slightly better than other people for these reasons, I believe, so I'm going to adjust by 10%. And then I'm going to adjust a little more because I was raised well. I'm 60% likely to be a Nazi person. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The outcome of that kind of forecasting is very different. Right. Yeah. 
I think that there's just no way to tell besides just going and being in that situation, which, I mean, this is obviously fictional, but is it really? It's Once not. Again, we live in Omaha. Yeah. 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 There's it's... sweatshops and stuff, and I, I don't know about you, but I haven't, like, gone to a sweatshop and, like, freed a bunch of children. No. Right? Arik and I were made to simulate a sweatshop when we lived in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, did you do we that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Where some, some actually... kids get, like, a, you know, a tiny bit of rice. Other kids get more rice. You have to, like, make beads. Yeah. And, like, the teachers would walk around and, like, yell at you for slacking off. What? <laughs> yeah, in Singapore at our it school. It was a good experience. It was a good experience, yeah. Especially for all those, like, ultra-rich kids at UWC. Yeah, they need it. Yeah. I mean, we, we probably need it, too. We definitely <laughs> needed it, yeah. But some kids need it more. I mean, yeah. Those oil barons and shit. Yeah. Like, we knew a kid who, uh, these kids who were, like, kids of oil barons, um, and one of them was nice, but they are always scheming to, like, cut each other out of the fortune, and one of them, like, pissed on another kid and got expelled. And their parents would always complain at the parent-teacher association about the quality of the food and shit. Wow. Which, the food at UWC was amazing, okay? Yeah, was, it was. We had, like, barbecue chicken and naans. There was and, literally like, a guy with a tandoori oven making naans at lunch, be, and, like, a sushi bar. Yeah, though I did get a nail in one of my sandwiches one day. Okay, one... Yeah. Like a rust... Like a, not like a fingernail, like oh, a Like a, like a rusty nail. nail. Oh. Oh, what the... F- how? Uh, I don't know. I, you know what? I yeah. should have told, like, a teacher or something, but I went and, like, told Took the, like, person who gave me the sandwich, and he was like, oh, give me the, I'll take care of it. And, yeah. <laughs> Did he give you a new sandwich? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I bet as a kid, you were like, all right, cool. Exactly. Honestly, <laughs> even, even now, if that happened to me, I'd probably be like, meh. I would have so many questions now. Really? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I wouldn't give a shit. I'd just be like, all right, just give me a new sandwich. I'm, I don't have time for this I'm shit. Wondering. You're literally eating like a tetanus sandwich, though. I got shots for that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> What's the point of getting all my vaccines if I can't eat a rusty nail? <laughs> you know, if, if first of all, yes. <laughs> What's more metal than that? I mean, I mean, nothing. It's a metal. Rusty nails, pretty yeah. metal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to like continue the utilitarianism kick, next week we should we're doing utilitarianism, but we can make this a three-part series. Because Peter Singer is, like, a modern utilitarian, and his books have, like, really changed my life. So, like, his book, The Life You Can Save, about effective altruism, totally changed my spending patterns. Um, and he has a book on veganism that I'm, like, really afraid to read because... Yeah, you've talked about that one before because you think it's going to make you into a vegan. <laughs> I think it I think it's, it, it will, yeah, because his arguments are really hard to refute. Well, just if you don't want to acknowledge something, then don't. I might have to, like, live in darkness on that one for a bit more, bit longer, but... I mean, I think the thing is, like... Well, this is kind of a side tangent. My opinion on, like, veganism and vegetarianism, I think a thing that stops a lot of people is, like, you see it as a binary thing. Like, either I'm a vegan or I eat steaks every day. Yeah. But, like, you know, cutting down your meat intake by, like, three meals a week... Makes a significant difference if you care about the issues that people are going vegan for. And I don't think that there's any reason to scoff at that, you know. And I think it's still okay to say, hey, you know what? I want to eat a fucking steak sometimes. And, um, you know, but I'm not going to eat, like, hamburger helper every day. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. I think that does make sense. I also think where that steak comes from is important. Because if you, like, like, went into your backyard and... Okay, not your backyard... You went into some government-issued property and you shot a deer legally. Then you like skinned it and like 
put it through it in your freezer and they ate that steak. That is the most ethical way to That steak is all, it is better than anything else you'll find. It, it's for sure better than those like factory farms though. Yeah. Right? It puts you in a relationship with nature and the food chain and makes you actually like go and see what you're doing. Like in Omelas, right? Like and the people go and see what it is. Whereas for us, we're like kind of insulated from it. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the things here. The difference between us and Omelas is we don't see it. Yeah, we hide yeah. from it. We don't grapple with it. Yeah. It's also like yeah. across the world, like completely right now. But I think that you're right. We have we have you haven't seen. It. I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't been to a sweatshop, right? Yeah. When you buy yeah. a pack of cigarettes, there's a picture of some mangled lungs on it. When you buy an iPhone, there's a picture of a sweatshop. Although there's not a picture of mangled lungs on packs of cigarettes yeah, in the U.S. What? Oh, really? Yeah, no, that's a uh, every other country except the U.S. thing. Really? I will say when I buy a box of cigars overseas, that is kind of annoying. Yeah. Because I'm like, dude, everything is bad for you. Why isn't there a picture of a fat person on the box of cookies? <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know? Consistency. Because, well, I, I think consistency is fair, but tobacco is also, like, directly bad. But sugar is neuro- literally neurotoxic. Well, it is, but it's so prevalent already. It's, like, so integrated into everything that we eat. If you get rid of sugar, everything's just going to taste bad. Like, what, what's a food that you like? Just one food. Steak. Steak. Uh, okay, what do you season your steak with? Salt and pepper. <laughs> okay, do, do you have a salad with your steak? I have veggies. That has sugar in it. Yeah, but not added sugar. Well, not added sugar, but it's still sugar. Yeah, but it's within the, like, 50 milligrams, like, recommended. Well, it's still sugar, though. That's fair. If yeah. you if you ate... Um, I guess there's no tobacco in the vegetables if you just eat it normally. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> what if you're eating tobacco plants? Well, then... They're what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I bet you there's some crazy, like, tobacco food recipes. Like, tobacco-wrapped chicken or shit. I was watching um, an episode of one of Anthony Bourdain's shows where they go to the French Laundry in Napa, uh, which is this really fancy restaurant, and the chef there, Thomas Keller, did make some, like, tobacco-based dish for Anthony Bourdain to, like... Kind of like as like a like a joke at his expense because he's he's always smoking cigarettes. That's funny. Like he's put like tobacco in his tiramisu or something. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so yes, there are tobacco related food recipes. Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah, Rilu. Don't become a troubled, hard drinking man about the world, chef. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it ends badly. It does end badly does end badly because of my so I, I just got my permit and uh every time i go to practice driving my brother recently has been putting this song on it uh <laughs> it's just this uh Yaggity yak yeah it's the vando song and every time i'm trying to think no in my head i can just hear someone playing the band i can't think anymore it's all i can hear that's amazing you gotta do like what they do for the Phantom Limbs and like you gotta buy a banjo and play it and it'll like free you. So people's Phantom Limbs buy like an arm? It's a very vague, play vague, it. vague like analogy I just made. <laughs> yeah. It barely <laughs> applies. I was just trying to like but ruin your analogy. With the Phantom Limbs what they do is like if, you, if your Phantom Limb is like clenched a lot of people have like clenched Phantom Limbs they'll, they'll put your hand in a mirror, mirror. box. I see, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen it. It's pretty cool how that works though. Yeah, it's really trippy. Yeah. There's also... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, there's this... Wait, how would that even work? I, w- I was just thinking of something. Oh, yeah. There's a surgery where if your knee, like, dies, and you have to get your rest of your leg amputated, 
you can take the nerves that connect to your foot and your ankle and you can like turn it into your knee and then just have the rest of your leg amputated. What? Okay. You take your knee out yeah. and you replace it with your foot. That's insane. That seems crazy. Like like not like your entire foot, but with the joint so that you can like use it to walk around after oh. you get like Oh you're saying a like prosthetic. So you're saying like the prosthetic would fit into your ankle joint, but your ankle is transplanted to your knee or something? Yeah, because they would have to remove your knee and everything below it anyway. Oh, oh I see what you're yeah. saying. So you essentially have a leg that's just like your thigh and then like a foot. Yeah, except without like the whole foot, it's just like the ankle. Well, yeah, but then like you the prosthetic, prosthetic fits it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Damn, that's insane. Modern medical science is crazy. Yeah. yeah. We were going to do an episode on Grunt. Oh, uh, yeah, we should do that. That's, like, that's we, a good one. You, me, and Margaret actually have all read that book. Yeah. So yeah. it would be an easy one to just do sometime. But. Yeah. Okay, so... Actually, that one... I think Jules read that book, too. We can we try it for a person. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so here's my question. What are your ultimate takeaways from this story? I think for me personally... Um, you know, the biggest thing is just like, well, there's two things, a couple things. Be aware that we are in MLS. Like, it's important yeah. to go and look at the child, right? It's important to try to understand what's going on in the world that, you know, allows us to lead the lifestyle that we get to lead. You know, yeah. our lives are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a certain extent, it does come at the expense of other people, other places, all of those things. And that's important to keep in mind. Um, the other thing that's interesting to me is just this idea of like, you know, what would I do? Would I be the one that walks away? I mean, this is something I come back to with a lot of these episodes is just trying to put myself in that position and, and think about, you know, what would that feel like? And, and what would my actions be? Um, yeah. Honestly, I don't think that I would let the child out in this situation. I don't think I would be the one. Because it's just, you know, too much too much human happiness contingent on it. Right, well, in, in the way I think about it, I've thought about the story at least. There's at least like 10,000 people living in this town. Yeah. And I think the happiness of those 10,000 people is worth the suffering of that one person. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what, that's what the 10,000 people think. Right. right. And, and I, I see the argument for it because, again, if everyone walks away from Omelas, there's no Omelas, you know? Um, so it's a really hard one. I don't know. This the story is a really tough pill to swallow. A, a lot of like good philosophy kind of is. It's like similar to a con, like those Zen riddles, and that it kind of like just lodges in your throat. Yeah. And it just like you know it was like really hard to digest. Um, but um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think I think looking at the child is important. So maybe like some homework is look up um, what you know sweatshops are really like. You know, like we did the simulation when we were kids, but we could look into it and then try, we could try to be more responsible consumers where possible. Um, and there's like, the thing is, that's why I love effective altruism, because it's hard to peel apart the desire to appear philanthropic and appear like you're doing good from actually making an impact. Yeah. There's a social aspect to it where it's like, you know, you, you want to feel good about it. Um, that's why, yeah, maybe we should do a part three and read the life you can save because that, that might be a, hmm? how long is it? Uh, 250 pages. Not bad. It's a is it like reading. a dense read? Not no. like what you're going to read next week at all. <laughs> 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 I 
Peter, because Peter Singer is trying to like trying to talk to regular people, you know. Two fifty pages in a week—that's actually not that bad at all. It'll take me like twenty minutes to read fifty. And it'll change your life. I mean, that book—that book made me cry. It's it's a it's a tough one, but that one has been on my list for a while based on your recommendation. Yeah, it'll be fun to revisit. It would help, like, you know, kind of see if I could find some loopholes in it. <laughs> <laughs> Buy myself the Porsche. <laughs> I actually, I dude, did. I'm worried that I'm gonna read that and then once it's I ruin your life, I, yeah. <laughs> once I get some IPO money, I'll no longer be able to buy a fat Cuban link chain like Lil Boozy. That's what it did to me. <laughs> that's what it. That's what it, literally what it did to me. Maybe like, I'll read the veganism book. <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather have the chain and not the burger. Oh, <laughs> well, you could still have the burger with the impossible thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but maybe that's like looking at the child, right? Maybe we both need to read both. Yeah, yeah. we probably do. Yeah. The real problem with the burger for me, just side tangent, is vegan cheese is hell. Is hell. Although I once had good vegan cheese at an eco resort in Puerto Rico. That's awesome. Vegan cheese actually that bad? I've never had it. It is. Yeah. It. I. The thing is congealed canola oil. Yes. That's, that's it it's okay. it's not good. I, most of the time that I've had vegan cheese, I've been like, you know, I'd rather just eat the vegan meat and like, I don't know, barbecue sauce or ketchup and no cheese. You yeah. Know, like. Yeah. But like I said, when I was in uh, Puerto Rico at an eco resort in Vieques, which if any of you are going to Puerto Rico, I have some great recommendations. Drop us a line at contact at rdmr.io for all your travel planning needs. We will hook you up. We've got travel guides in 50 countries. <laughs> That's a lie, but, you know. And on Twitter. Yeah, at rdmr underscore io. At rdmr underscore io. Tweet at us. We'll be like, send us an email. You know, we'll get you hooked up. We've got fixers in all of these countries. You know, they will discuss philosophy with you while drinking espresso on a mountaintop under the fog. It'll be sick. They'll, they'll expose you to the supply chains and make your life possible and tra- traumatize you for life. <laughs> and they'll take you to like a, a, a bioluminescent bay. You can kayak in a glass bottom kayak and see like the plankton. You'd be you like, hey, at that. least I'm not yeah, a plankton. It, it was sick. That was amazing. That sounds amazing, at least. I wasn't there. It is amazing. You guys should... Uh, we're gonna throw up uh, short episodes and minisodes and shit, and do a Patreon soon. So sign up for our Patreon so we can go to the Bioluminescent Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sign up for our Patreon so we can afford to spend thousands of dollars to go to a sweatshop and like. Look at <laughs> if if we like, get oh, <laughs> we'll show up on a tour bus with a bunch of like <laughs> Nikon cameras. Have you guys listened to the Joe Rogan with that guy who's like a product manager at Facebook? Because I feel like that's pretty no. much what he did. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. Okay, well, he, he this guy from who used to work at Facebook, uh, now he's like a public intellectual, and he went to Ukraine to pretty much just like be like, oh, <laughs> and um, it, it didn't come off the way it did for like Christopher Hitchens or someone, you know? Yeah, it just came off, or like George Orwell. It, Was it, he not being like a war reporter? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's something about it just came off a little differently for me. It felt more like just suffering tourism, <laughs> like the one guy in the plane. Where he like jumped out of his plane and like crashed his plane for like no reason and it almost caused like could have caused a bunch of bad stuff. Um, no, but that sounds bad too. Yeah, yeah, it was it was basically like this YouTuber who was like spreading his friend's ashes, right? And he like never wears parachutes in his video. He's like a pilot. In this one video he did though, 
and apparently his engine failed, and instead of landing in, like, several of the areas he could have, he just, like, jumped out of his plane. That's super dangerous. Yeah. Jesus. And it was, like, yeah, it was pretty terrible. It, it's probably faked. Almost definitely. So don't do that. Yeah. yeah don't do that. Don't jump out of pay- planes. Um, if planes want to sponsor us, they should. If you're thinking about jumping out of a plane and you need someone to talk to, drop us a line. Contact. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also got, like uh, like and review the podcast if you like it. Yeah, like yeah. and review the podcast. And but tell your friends, especially if you have friends who you feel morally superior to, send this to them. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah. If you give us bad reviews, we're gonna be like the HR department. If you leave a bad glass door review, we're not gonna say we're, we're not gonna overtly come and like intimidate you into giving a better review, but we are gonna apply pressure. In various channels. That we deserve a better review. <laughs> and then we're going to go and like rally the rest of the company to, to like Fire put you. reviews on <laughs> to bring the averages up. So bad reviews, there's no point in leaving them. Only leave five-star reviews. <laughs> well, literally, if we pay see... a sweatshop in China to review it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can buy some Twitter followers like that from a sweatshop in India or China. Yeah, the Twitter is like a dangerous one to play with. Oh yeah, they will fucking they'll hit you with the ban hammer. Oh yeah, oh, you damn. could just yeah. like, like World of Warcraft in 2007. No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or just auto level up your guy. You could go on program. your own and like just make a bunch of like Gmails and just like follow them all to your Twitter. Yeah, but that takes a lot more time and effort than. Also, you're not you're not learning contacts. what resonates. You know, well that's, that's true. But instead of like botting, it's technically not botting because all those accounts are active. It's better than botting, but I would rather put tweets out there that you people can literally just like cherish and love (laughs) like you know like needle point and put on your wall yeah uh after our patreon opens if we get ten thousand dollars we'll be opening our own sweatshop right here (laughs) (laughs) bringing bringing jobs back to america the heartland (laughs) you guys will be the first ones to be in the sweatshop (laughs) yeah our our top tier patreon subscribers (laughs) (laughs) um all right Closing thoughts? Well, one thing I just wanted to point out with this that I found interesting is there's society, you know, like it's really prosperous and successful, but there's a lot of suffering that makes that happen. And then people see that and they kind of leave the society to an indescribable place. That sounds like Da Buddha. He was a prince living in like this opulent society. And then he, one day he like went outside the walls of the kingdom and he saw all this suffering and he was like, shit. And then he walked away. And went on this like path of seeking insight because it was just like a paradox that was unsolvable to him, you know. Um, so that's an interesting angle too. Always bring back the Buddha into a little <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> da Buddha. <laughs> so maybe the answer then is that we should all just leave society, go into the woods, and revert to a more simple life. Well, we could do that, mm-hmm. or we could just all work in sweatshops for no one. Or you guys could all work at sweatshops, and I could buy Cuban link chain. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a tough one, and because it's a tough one, you can expect two more episodes on it. All right. Well, let's let's not confirm two. Let's let's stick with one for now because I don't know if I can read a two fifty page book. We can. We'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll commit to the to the third one. Okay, yeah, that'll be fun. I'll oh. do that. You don't have to. It's okay. But Mister Special uh, Guest, all right, little Baby Tigre over here will be back <laughs> next week. <laughs> yeah, I will. He yeah. will. And Gen Z is less flaky than us millennials. You think so? No, but I'm trying to play better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he, 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 he got this. All right. With that, thanks for joining us today. I hope you got some insight. Um, check out this book, 
or this short story, you can just get it online. The ones who walk away from Omalas by Ursula Le, Le Guin. There's also the original place we ran into the story was in a collection of uh, short sci-fi. stories or yeah. sci-fi. Yeah, um, which sci-fi short was called uh, what was it called? It was by Orson Scott Card. Card. I think it was like the best sci-fi of the 20th century, and that was like honestly an incredible anthology. Yeah, that was fantastic. I have a strong... Oh, yeah, it's called Masterpieces, the best science fiction of the century by Orson... Uh, and it's edited and compiled by Orson Scott Card. It's really good. Really fantastic, especially if you want to get into sci-fi. kind of takes you through the different you know eras of sci-fi and, and has some really excellent stories. So yeah. strong recommend for that. Strong recommend for the ones who walk away from Omalas. And be ready for some uh, enlightened... Hammer dropping next week from John Stuart Mill. Yeah. Yes, sir. Call me John Stuart Mill number two because I'm about to utilitarianism this bitch.